Okay, you should, it should be less than five, and we call in this one the two greats. Okay, I've tried to name all these kind of weird names just so they'd kind of stand out. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. We're continuing our study. We're calling 12 key biblical truths. We're looking at places in the Bible, seeing truths that we can know and rightly divide the Word of God. Our goal is that we'd know them and be able to pass them on to other people. Now, here's what we've done, okay? And as you find in most everybody to Matthew 22, it's in the New Testament. <laughs> That's... It's the first book of the New Testament, and it's the 22nd chapter, so you, you should find it. Okay, we're calling this 12 tree, b- key biblical truths that every believer must understand. What we've looked at so far is we started with the subject or dealing with the issue of salvation, and we looked at three things so far in those lessons. We looked at the story of the Bible, we looked at being saved three times, and we looked at eternal life or temporary life. We looked at the story of the Bible, which is reconciliation, how the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. Story of the Bible is God reconciling man to himself from the fall with Adam and Eve all the way to the end. That's the story of the Bible. We said being saved three times kind of scares people, but what God's salvation plan is total, past, present, and future. We have been saved, justification. We are being saved, sanctification. We will be saved, glorification. It's really understanding, being able to put that together so when you see the aspect of the word salvation in the Bible, you understand how it fits together. The third thing that we saw was eternal life or temporary life because there's people who will say you can believe in Jesus and you're saved, but then you could lose it. Well, then you didn't get eternal life. You must have got temporary life. And so we talked about the whole idea of security and assurance, that every believer is secure in Christ. Not every believer has the assurance of their salvation. We, we want everybody to have that, and that's one of the reasons we spent a lot of time last week on that. Well, tonight, as we continue, we now start moving to issues dealing with the Christian life, or those other issues dealing with, sal- with eternal life salvation, and that this is now dealing with the Christian life. And we're going to look at two greats which deal with loving and equipping. That's why this lesson is called The Two Greats. And we want to understand the two greats of the Bible. They are the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. And we'll see how they fit together. We'll see them in just a few minutes. So let's begin with this. When you think about the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, it was amazing when you think about it. Uh, He was born in Bethlehem, basically in a stable. He was raised in Nazareth. At about age 30, he began this ministry, a ministry to announce to the world that he was the Messiah and the Savior of the world. He showed clearly by his life, by his teaching, by his miracles, he's the Son of God, he's the Messiah, he's the God-man. John's gospel actually shows us seven signs or seven miracles that Jesus did to show that he's the Messiah and the Son of God. And he says there are many other signs that he did, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing you might have life, eternal life. When you think about the ministry of Christ, it was fairly short. Three to three and a half years. He started at age 30, and basically 33 to 34 is when he died. His teaching was famous because he taught with authority. When he taught, people would say, they're not like these religious leaders. He teaches with authority. Think about what he did. Jesus taught parables. He taught the Sermon on the Mount. He confronted the religious leaders. He showed love for all people. Now, I've got on your little hand that there are two ways that Jesus give, gave information. Now think about it. There are two different ways. Here's the first one, that he was answering questions. People would come to him, and they would raise a question, and he would answer. Now sometimes people came, and they really wanted answers. 
And then uh, sometimes people came and they didn't want answers. They were trying to trick him. But either way, when they would ask him a question, he would give them information. Think about, they came and they said, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he knew they were trying to trick him. And he said, give me the coin. Whose, whose image is on this? And they want Caesar. They said, well, you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And you give to God what belongs to God. Uh, we're made in the image of God. So the coin belonged to Caesar, but we belong to God. There's a second way that he gave information, and that was he was teaching. He was teaching truths. He, he would, like the Sermon on the Mount, he'd get a small group of disciples. He would teach them. He would go daily into the temple and teach. So Jesus was either answering questions or giving instructions. Now, here's what I want you to see about the two greats. In the two greats, we're going to see that Jesus is answering a question, and the question is, what is the great commandment? And then we're going to see Jesus giving instructions, and we call that the great commission. So what this lesson is really about, what I call the two greats, the great commandment and the great commission. We're going to see how they fit together tonight, and we're going to see what it's all about, how it fits. Watch this. The great commandment, what would Jesus say is the great commandment found in the Bible? Second, the great commission. What responsibility did Jesus give his disciples and then to us? So as we look at this, there's a, there's a lot, of, lot, of, lot of good things that we're going to see. So the great commission and the great commandment and, uh, and how it all fits together. And, and we'll, we'll see it. It's, it's really, really good. Um, so as we think about this, we think about... How do we live and what do we do? We're going to find out that uh, the great commandment tells us how to live out our faith. And the great commission tells us what we are to do. So at the top of that, I think it's the top of the second page, it says the great commandment tells us how to live. And the great, uh, it, I just noticed that she's got, the, the, that second line should be the great commission tells us what to do. So what, as you know, this is the first time we've taught this, and so there's going to be mistakes. And so if you would just correct that and uh, um, remind me. I'll, I'll need to mark it myself. I don't have a pen, but it, I'll, I'll get it marked later. All right. So we're going to see the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. And the Great Commandment tells us how we're to live out our faith. The Great Commission tells us what we are supposed to do. So let's start with the Great Commandment. And this is how do we live. When I was growing up, and this is what's a little bit unusual. When I was growing up, the term goat meant something bad in sports. If you were playing sports and they said, he's the goat, and that meant, oh, my gosh, he was maybe playing the ball, went through his legs, or he dropped the pass, or he dropped the touchdown, or whatever, he missed the shot, everything, and that would be the goat of the game. Now the word goat means what? Greatest of all time. And so I remember the first time I heard that, they said something like, you know, John Smith's the goat. In wrestling, I went, what? No, no, he's the best I've ever seen. Well, no, and so GOAT means the greatest of all time. You know, we all want to be great at something. In history, people have called themselves great. If you remember Alexander, Alexander the Great, and King Herod was called Herod the Great. And we want to be great, but here's the key question is, who do we want to be great for? We want to be great for God. We belong to Him. He's our Savior. How should we live? And so, we want to be great and to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. So how can we be great for God? And how do we live out our faith and be great for God? That's really what we're going to be looking at in this whole idea of the great commandment. So this is what we're looking at, the great commandment. And this is the, the powerful thing. So we're in, uh, in Matthew chapter 22. I want you to see something. We're going to see the flow. Jesus has been teaching. Let me just throw, it, throw out to you. The Pharisees came up to Jesus, and they did the thing a while ago. They came up and said, uh, should we pay?
pay taxes or not. And he just knew. He, they were testing him. He knew their hypocrisy. And he said, give me a coin. Whose image on it? Caesar. Then give to Caesar what's Caesar and give to God what's God. After that, another group came up. They were called the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees did not believe in life after death. They were the priestly tribe and they didn't, um, priestly leaders. They didn't believe in life after death. They did not believe in supernatural. So they thought they could trick Jesus and they came up with this question. And they said, well, you know, the Bible says, our law said that if a man marries and he dies without any children, it's the responsibility of his brother to marry her. It's called the Leverett Law of Marriage, to marry her and then have a child and bring up a son after him. And then they made this ridiculous story that this person uh, had seven brothers and they married the woman and each one of them died and they married the woman. And finally at the end, she had married all seven brothers and they had no children and they all died. And then they said, so whose wife is she going to be in eternity? And they thought they, they were making fun of him because they don't even believe in life after death. And he said, first of all, you don't know the Bible and you don't understand the power of God. First of all, you don't know the Bible because in the eternal state, there's not marriage or given in marriage. And second is, God is the God of the living, not the dead. Because God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was, he's not the, he was not the God. of He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're still alive. So after those two things, they said, How we, what are we going to do? How are we going to trick him? We can't trick him. We've, we've asked two questions. So if you look at Matthew 22, look at verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together, and one of them, a lawyer. Now, when it says a lawyer, this was a person that was trained in the Bible. This would be a person that studied the Scripture and knew the Scripture. Sometimes they were called scribes, and they would copy the Bible. They know it. If you had a Bible question... You might come to a lawyer or a scribe and say, what does this mean? And they could look it up for you. They were really smart. And so it says, one of them, a lawyer, ask him a question and notice this. Ask him a question doing what? What does it say? Testing him. He's not trying to find the answer. He's not really trying to find the answer. They, uh, he just wants to, to test him. So when the Pharisees heard Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. And so this, they, this one comes. One of them, a lawyer, ask him a question and is testing him. And look what the question is. He said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? I mean, that's a big question, isn't it? Which is the great commandment in the law? Now, he's not trying to learn the truth. He thinks he knows, and he thinks, I'm going to trick Jesus, and here's the way I'm going to trick him. There were 613 commandments in the Mosaic Law. He says, what is the great commandment? And whatever Jesus says, he thinks, I got him. If he says, do this, then we'll say, well, what about these? And so they think they've got him tricked. That's, that's what they do. And so they ask this question. Remember, remember, they're asking a question to the one who wrote the scripture, right? So I think he, he knows pretty much what's going on. And so they ask this question, and he says, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, if you think about it for a second, if there's 613 commandments... And you know that they're the top ten, as we think about it. A lot of people say, think the top ten. And you say, well, which, which one would be uh, the most important commandment in the Scripture? And, and they, they dealt with moral issues. The, the Scripture under the Mosaic Law did with food and clothing and moral issues and everything else. They think they've got him. They think they've got him. And so what does Jesus do? Look what he says. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, this is the great and foremost commandment. So Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and this is the great one. 
Now, I mean, he's saying, here it is. If you wanted to know the great one, this is it. And so we'd say it this way. Love God with your mind, emotion, and you will love him completely. Now, before the guy can say, aha, I got you, Jesus says something else. Look what he says. The second is like it. And in the way it's written in the Greek, he's basically saying, and the second one's the same as the first one. The second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So Jesus said, the second's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So on these two commandments, everything, everything ties together. Everything ties together. Uh, the, all of them fit under that. And so he basically says, listen, th there's not one commandment. There's two that come together. Love God and love others. That's the bottom line. And so the commandment is love your neighbor and love God. And, and so he's, he's basically saying to them, hey, you want to be great? How are you great? On these two commandments, the whole law, all of the prophets, everything fits together. So loving God and loving others, this is the great commandment. So let me ask you this. If you said, how do I live? How do I live? Love what? God. Love others. In the New Testament, there's a thing called the law of love. It's also called the law. No, excuse me. Law of love, it's also called the law of Christ. And it's actually love. And this is the answer. It's loving God and loving others. If somebody said to you, you want to be great for God? What do you do? You love God and love others. That's the bottom line. So, how do we live? We love God and we love others. I think on the bottom of your sheet, it says, how do we love? It actually should say, how do we live? And then it says, love God, love others. I was noticing this. And also on your handout, I noticed earlier today that back up there where it says Matthew 22, it should say 34 and 35, not 24 and 35. We're, we're trying to correct this as much as possible. We typed this about... Uh, five or six weeks ago, and so of course we're now just now getting to them, but uh, we, I didn't have time to get it changed after we already put it in your notebook for you. Okay, so how do we live? Now let's talk about it for ourselves, because we're talking about knowing biblical truths that every one of us should understand and then be able to tell others. So if somebody said, how do you live as a believer? What are you supposed to do? What does Jesus say? Love God and love others. Well, with that, here's the questions. What does it mean to love God? And how do you love God? And what does it mean to love others? And how do we love others? So just to say, love God and love others, what exactly does that mean? And so at the top of that next page, how do we love God? How do we love God? John 14, 15 says, if you love me, what? You will keep my commandments. So I want to write this up here for you. You know how you love God? You obey Him. You do what He says. You live according to the Scripture. You obey Him. So if you want to love God, and if you want to say, I love God, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my commandments. You'll obey me. You'll do what I said. First, in John 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who does what? Loves me. So you want to love God? What do you got to do? 
You got to live by the Bible. You got to obey the scripture. You got to do what the Bible says. You got to walk worthy of the calling which you've been called. You got to run the race with endurance. You got to live out who you are. And you got to obey the scripture. So if we want to be great for God, we, uh, you know, if you really want to be great for God and if you want to do what God has for you to do, you got to love Him. That's the bottom line. And how do you love Him? You obey Him. Okay, now, what's next? Loving others. How do we love others? What do we do? Well, you, you can't say, well, I have to obey them. No, that's because you obey God, right? So how are we going to love others? What do we do? Look at this. Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, what do you do? Serve other people. So how do you love others? Serve them. How do you love God? Obey Him. How do you love others? Serve them. Now, if you want to just put it down simply and say, what do I do? How do I live out who I am as a believer? What is the great commandment? It is to what? Love God and love others. How do you love God? You obey Him. How do you love others? You serve them. That's what we're seeing. And that's the truth from the Bible. Through love, by love, we serve one another. We love others as we serve them. Every one of us in this room have gifts, talents, and abilities. God, when you know, believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, He places you, you know you in Christ. He you become a new creation in Christ. You become a new child. You become a child of God. He actually gives you spiritual gifts, abilities, talents to serve Him, and we're to serve and touch lives. There, this this uh, serving one another. There are over fifty places in the New Testament that we call the one another's. It'll say something like serve one another, pray for one another, build one another up, love one another. There's over 50 places that are called the one another's. We did a study in Grow Group years ago called the one another's. And we took, I think, about 15 main one another's. The overarching one is to love one another. That's the key. The overarching one for relationship with other people is to love one another. And then it goes to pray for one another, serve one another, build one another up, bear one another's burdens. Just They're all through the Scripture. But the bottom line comes back to what? To serve them. Through love, serve one another. And so the first great... The first great is how are we to live out our faith? And it is what? To love God and to love others. And how do we love God? We obey Him. How do we love others? We serve them. Now this is powerful. And it's very simple. And people don't understand it. And you hear people say things, well, what am I supposed to do as a Christian? Well, what are you, what are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to live? What is all this? Well, how do you live? Well... You love God and love others. Well, how do you love God? You do what he says. You just obey the scripture. Now, by the way, if you're going to obey the scripture, you, you have to do what? You have to know the scripture. You know, it's really true. And, and you know that old saying is uh, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Ignorance of the scripture is no excuse, by the way. I didn't know that. Well, you should have, right? It amazes me, and we've talked about this a lot of times, how many people who have been believers for years and they don't know the Bible at all. And you want to say to them, why don't you know what it is in English? I mean, we got it in English. It started out in Greek, but it's in English. And started out in Hebrew, but it's in English. And most of the translations, let me say this, a number of the translations are very good. And they're all, you know, they're very accurate. And so, should we know the Scripture? 
I mean, that's one reason we're doing this class, 12 things, 12 biblical truths that believers need to know. And we need to know what is the story of the Bible. We need to know the God's salvation plan. We need to know the security aspect of it. And we need to know what is the two greats in the Bible, the great commandment and the great commission. And the great commandment, simply put, is what? Love God. Love others. How do we love God? Obey. How do we love others? Serve. Wow. That's some great things. So, this is the great commandment. So, if somebody talked to you and they said, what, what does the Bible say about how we are to live out our faith and what do we do? Well, you just say, well, the great commandment is to love God and love others. Now, they thought they had him. I want to go back for a second. They thought they had him. And they tricked him and said, what is the great one? And they're thinking, okay, there's 613. He's going to name one of them. And we can just pick any other one out and we'll get it. And before he, he just named it, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. And before they could say anything, he said, and the second one is like it. And then he said, all the other commandments hang on these two right here. And so in reality... The Bible goes back to how do we live out who we are? Love God, love others, obey Him, serve. Our culture is not to serve others. Our culture is to take care of ourselves, make sure we're okay, number one, uh, with the best. Uh, we deserve, we're all victims. And, and that the Bible says you're not a victim, you're a child of God. And you're to love him and you're to serve and love others. You're to obey him and you're to serve others. Well, with that in mind, you're ready to move to the next one. Okay, the next one is the Great Commission. And this is what we're to do. This is how we live. How we live out. This is what we are to do. And we, the do is what we call the Great Commission. And that, so, as we see the Great Commission, we see what we are to do. Jesus taught his men that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that he was the way to have eternal life. He taught his men that he would die and rise again, that he'd pay for sin. And that's one of the things I think, I'm just going to put this up here for a second, I'll erase this. But one of the things you can't ever take for granted, and, and I do this, and I do it over and over, and sometimes you might say, he says it all the time, I think I've got it. Well, I hope so, because sometimes we don't have it, we think we got it. But our message, what was the message Jesus told them? He's going to what? Die and rise again. And then what was the response to this message? What do we want people to do? To believe. You know what people say today? We want you to walk down an aisle. We want you to give your life to Jesus. We want you to repent of your sins. We want you to get baptized. We want you to, to do this and this and this. Those aren't scriptural. Those are all works. What do we do? We believe. The Gospel of John, 98 times it says to believe. Just one book. That's why if you've got somebody that you're dealing with and they're not sure about salvation or they're not sure what to, what to do or something, we've got all those little books out there called Living Water, but they're actually the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, if you read the Gospel of John, you'll see 98 times that you believe in Christ and you get eternal life. And the word life is listed 40, what, do you remember what it is? We, 47 times. You believe and you get life eternal life. And so if you've got if you've got somebody that's struggling, go get that go get those gospel of John's, get them just call Living Waters and say, Hey, read this. 
and they'll read it. The reason the Gospel of John is so powerful, he says at the very end, there are many other signs Jesus did that are not written in this book, but these are written, seven signs, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing, that Christ the Son of God, and by believing you might have life. That's what the whole purpose of the book is. The Gospel of John is a book written to tell people how to have eternal life. So, you know, if you give them the Gospel of Matthew... Uh, they're going to be confused some. If they're, if they're not saved, they're going to be confused because Jesus presents himself as the king in the Gospel of Matthew. But in the Gospel of John, John says he's the savior of the world. He died and rise again. Whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. What's the most famous verse? John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Gave him to what? Die and rise again. That whosoever would believe in him would never perish but have eternal life. That's, the God, that's John 3.16 right there. And when people talk about uh, sharing their faith, well, I was in our grow group, and I'm just going to bring this up real quick, but I was in our grow group, and we were talking about uh, different methods of sharing their faith, and people talk about evangelism explosion. That's one that was back in the 80s or 90s, and you had to memorize like 20 verses to be able to go out and share your faith. Well, people are too... F you can't memorize... I mean, if you even memorize the 20 verses and then you're out to start talking to somebody about their faith, you get all scared and you can't remember any verses, you know? <laughs> so if you just know John 3.16, which most people do, you can share your faith so easily. Tell them Jesus died and rose again. If you believe in Him, you have eternal life. The offer is what? You get eternal life and you believe in Him. And that's why this is so powerful. Now... Tying in with this message is the Great Commission. And so when we see the Great Commission, this is what we are to do. This is what we are to do, and that's the Great Commission. As we said, Jesus came, he died and rose again. He, let, he, he, he rose from the grave, walked on the earth for 40 days. After his death and resurrection, he walked on the earth 40 days, ascended into heaven, and he gave them a message. And let me just show you something. The, there are five places that state the Great Commission. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20 and 21, and Acts chapter 1. Those five places all give you what we call the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, he says, go make disciples. In Mark 16, he says, go and proclaim it in the world. In Luke, he talks about going out and making the message. In John, he says, uh, there are many other signs that you believe and you have life. Acts chapter 1, you shall be my witnesses. So over and over and over we see it. And so that's the five places that what, what might, we might call the Great Commission. But what I want you to do is uh, we're going to look at probably the most famous place. Where would it be if somebody said Great Commission? What would you say? What is it? Matthew 28. It is. That's the one that is probably the, the, the key one that most people think about. So we can... Uh, there's two ways we can live. I want you to think about this. So we... Let's just look at this room. We have believed in Jesus Christ to give us what? Eternal life. So what do we have? Eternal life. We know the story of the Bible is how God does what? Brings us back to himself using his son. So we believe in Jesus and we have eternal life. And not only that, he has saved us in the past justification. He is saving us now as we live through our Christian life. That's called sanctification. And one day he'll save us when he comes back and gets us. That's called glorification. And as we saw last week, we can know that we're saved. We don't have to doubt it. We know that we're secure in Christ and we have the assurance of our salvation. So that's why we pick those first three things. Now as we get to the Christian life, we say, okay, then what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live? Love God and love others. Obey Him. 
and serve them. What are we supposed to do? And that's the Great Commission. And, and let me just say this. Every one of us is true for everyone else. We have a choice to make. You can either live for God or live for yourself. Now, let me just real quickly throw this out. But I trusted Christ when I was 19. I wandered into a Bible study. I always thought you had to be good to go to heaven. As long as you did more good than bad, you'd be okay. I, was in, I lived in an athletic dorm when I was in college. And I walked down a hall one night, wandered into a Bible study. They shut the door. I couldn't get out. And I, I listened. And I didn't want to be there. But I actually heard the message, and I believed that Jesus Christ would give me eternal life. I trusted in him to give me life, eternal life. But I did not grow as a believer. And it was until I was coaching at Mississippi State, which was a number of years later. I coached Christ when I was 19. When I was about 23, 24, I was at Mississippi State. And I knew, I knew I was going to heaven. I never doubted my salvation in one bit. But I also knew that I wasn't growing and that I wasn't serving him. And I was afraid. I was afraid if I said to God, I want my life to count for you, he would make me be a pastor or a missionary. <laughs> That's what I said. I thought, I don't want to do that because I want to be a coach. And yet what happened is I came one night and I said, and I'm going to get this in just a minute, but I said to him, take my life and I want you to use me for your glory. I want to live for you. It's never been the same. And he did change my desires. And if you said to me, would you like to coach or be a pastor? I said, oh, no, I want to be a pastor. I don't want to coach. So God changes us. So as we think about this, we can either live for ourselves or we can live for God. Now, as we start thinking about making this impact, about fulfilling the Great Commission, there are really two foundational things we need to do. And I'm just going to hit on these tonight, and, and we'll hit on them actually in the very last lesson. But I want to show you something. The two foundational things, number one, is offer our lives to God. And number two, keep our focus on Christ. And let me make sure we understand. I want you to get that written down. Everybody got it? Offer your life to Christ and keep our focus on Christ. That's at the top, I guess, of page four. Is that right? Something like that. Okay, so let's talk about this aspect of offering our lives, okay? As a believer, now we're not talking about unbelievers. There are a lot of people who say, how do you get saved? You give your life to Jesus. No, you don't. You believe in him for eternal life. That's how you get saved. Giving your life to Jesus is discipleship. As a believer, we offer our lives. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. And so Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us, as believers, we're to offer our lives as living sacrifices to God. We say to him, God, I want you to take my life and use my life for your glory. Let me tell you, you trust in Christ as Savior. That moment you're changed, you're a child of God, you've got the Holy Spirit, you're everything. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to grow and be changed. When you get to a point in your Christian life that you want your life to count for Christ, that's when a change is going to happen. You know, there are people all the time wanting to tell everybody, look at everybody's life to see if they're a Christian or not. You can't tell at anybody's life whether they're a believer or not. The only way you can tell if they're a believer is by what they tell you. But the moment, the moment you, you've trusted in Christ, you're born again, you're a new creation in Christ, you have this battle going on. You have the flesh that says do this, and you have the spirit that says do this. When you get to a point in your life, and, and some believers never get to that point. In fact, let me say it this way. Many believers never get to the point, but a lot of people get to a point where they say, God, I want my life to count for you. I think about this class. I, I know a lot of you in this room, and many of you in this room have said, God, take my life, 
Use me for your glory. You've done the Romans 12. You've offered your life as a living sacrifice. Paul is writing to believers. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, fellow believers, offer your lives as living sacrifices. And then he says this. He says, and stop being conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is the key in our whole lives. And if we want to make a difference for Christ, and that's the key, is not being conformed to this world. I have this little saying that that I... kind of coined, and I, and I use it, and it's in your little deal right there, and it's this. If, you're not, if we are not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, we will unconsciously be conformed to this fallen world. Now, let me tell you, if you don't make a decision that you're going to live for Christ, that you're going to study the Bible, you're going to put the truths in your mind, you're going to try to walk worthy of the calling, you're going to live it out, if you don't do that consciously, unconsciously, this world will be shaping you into its patterns, the thoughts of the world, the plans of this world, all that stuff, you'll be conformed to the, And you don't even know it's happening to you. You don't even know it's happening to you. We, if we're not consciously deciding, I'm going to study the Bible and be transformed from the inside out, I'll unconsciously be conformed from the outside in. And that's what happens to us if we're not careful. That's why you have to make a decision. And you say, as a believer, I want my life to count for Christ. It's really scary. It's scary to say that because you give up. You give up everything. Salvation is a gift. costs you absolutely nothing. But living for Christ costs you your life. And it has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with rewards. And we'll talk more about that later. In fact, one of our lessons is going to be on rewards. It's a little bit further down. But that's what we have to do. So the first one, as I said, is to offer your life. And if you're not, if you're not doing that now, listen, you don't even know it. But this world and these, the values of this world and the thinking of this world and, and all of the, the movies. And you say, oh, that was such a good movie. And you say, you know, if you go back 30 years ago, that would be trash. Trash. There are things that people laugh at today that couldn't even be put on television 30 years ago and 20 years ago. I mean, just, we just slowly have the, the values of our culture have gotten so much terrible. And, and, and so many people say, well, no, I, everything's fine. Everything. No, it's not fine. The second one is you have to keep our focus on Christ. That's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I want you to turn there for a second, okay, because I want you to see three things under there. So turn to the book of Hebrews. It's toward the back. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It's kind of neat that these two foundational passages, one is Romans 12, 1 and 2, and the other is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. But look at that, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And, and, and I put it down as you've got to keep the focus on Christ. And he tells us to run the race of the Christian life with endurance, keeping our focus on Jesus Christ. Notice Hebrews 12, 1. He says, seeing we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, and then he tells us what to do, and, and verse 2 starts by saying, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So we're calling this keeping the focus on Christ, and, and this, is, this is really the thing. If you're going to live the Christian life and have a victory, you've got to keep your focus on Jesus. If not, the circumstances of this world will tear you to pieces. Let me give you the example. You remember when Jesus told the guys to get in the boat and go across the Sea of Galilee, and he stayed on the mountain and prayed, and they got about a third of the way across, and they had been rowing for nine hours, and the storm was against them, and they couldn't make it, and they wondered where Jesus was, and suddenly he comes walking across the water in the middle of a storm. And they saw him and scared him to death, and he said, It's It's me. And Peter said, if it's really you, now this is how he said it, command me 
to come out and walk on the water with you. He didn't say, let me. He said, command me to come out. And Jesus said, okay, come out. And Peter came out, and he was walking on the water. You see the guys in the boat, they were probably clapping and cheering. And then it says, and he was walking toward Jesus, but then it said, and Peter began to look at the wind and the waves, and he began to sink. The bottom line is this. When we go through our lives, if we keep the focus on Christ, we're going to be okay. If we put the focus on our circumstances, good things, bad things, all the things around us, we're going to sink. And so we have to run the race looking at Jesus. Three things there. A is lay aside anything that would be slowing us down. Notice uh, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we have this great cloud of witnesses around us, others have gone before us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangle us. I coached track for a lot of years. I, coached pe- I actually got to coach people who went to the Olympics. 72 games, 76 games, and the 80 games. I coached people that were in those games. And we, you know, when guys would run the races, they, you know, we got shoes in all the time from Nike and Puma and Adidas and, and all those shoes. And they'd come in because they wanted these really good ones to be wearing their shoes when they broke records. But we'd get those shoes and we'd weigh them. They'd say, this one weighs less. So they'd wear the, well, you wear the, the, the lightest one. You don't want anything slowing you down. You know, when a guy got ready to race, you know, they take off almost everything they can, Right. I mean, they don't say, I gotta get, can I keep my overcoat on when I run this 100 meters? No. He says, whatever's slowing you down, lay anything aside that's slowing you down. He just has two things here. He says, lay aside every encumbrance, any weight, anything that's slowing you down, and the sin that does so easily entangle us. If I ask every one of us in this room, including me, is there a particular sin that seems to get you the most? You know what we'd say? Yeah, yeah, there is. He says, lay aside anything that's slowing you down and, and any, the sin that's messing you up. And then what does he say do? He says, run with endurance. Run with patience. Christian life is a long run. Now, and when I coached track or even when I did any track, I, you know, if it was more than 200 meters, I, that's enough for me, right? I, I just, I, but I remember one time I was coaching and, and I, had, I was coaching distance runners and they said, hey, why don't you run, the, why don't you run with us for a little bit? I went, yeah, I was young. I was like an idiot. Yeah, I said, sure, I'll run with you. It didn't take me long to say, you know, I think I'm going to go back to the 100 meters, 200 meters, 400. I can't run this type of stuff. But the Christian life is not a dash. It's a day after day after day after day after day after day after day running the race with endurance. And then the third thing is he says, and keep the focus, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So you won't make an impact for Christ. You, you put anything out of your life, it's slowing you down. That could be something good, by the way. That could be something good slowing you down. What if every morning you got up and you said, I'm going to read the newspaper hour reading the news. I'm going to get all the good news and learn all this stuff. That's nothing wrong with that, but guess what? Wouldn't it be better maybe to study the Bible for an hour instead of read the paper for an hour? So sometimes there's good things that we do that aren't the best things that we do. And he says, lay aside anything that's slowing you down, run with endurance, and keep the focus on Christ. So that's the big three. So let's let, before we before we get into actually the great commission, I want you to look at the top of that next page and see the contrast between being a believer and being a disciple. Okay, let's think about it because a lot of people don't know this. In fact, a lot of people bring them together and they say, if you're not a disciple, you're not a believer. 
Well, there are two different messages and two different things. Here's what it is. A believer, to be a believer costs us absolutely nothing. It is by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift. It's free. It's a grace. It's a gift. It's salvation. That's a believer. Being a disciple costs us our lives. That's where we take up our cross and die to self. That's where we offer our lives as living sacrifices. They are two different things. They are not the same thing. One is works and one is grace. And for you to have eternal life costs you absolutely what? Nothing. It's a gift. You know, when somebody says, I got a present for you, do you say, I'm, like, how much do I owe you? You do know that's a gift. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. By grace you've been saved through faith and out of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So it doesn't cost you anything. But discipleship, that's where you come to that point and you say, God, I want my life to count for you. Now that's going to cost you. That's going to cost you. Look at this, a believer, it's free, it's grace, it's whoever will respond, and what it costs is Christ's life, not us. But being a disciple is costly, it's works, it's taking up the cross, it's our responsibility, it costs us our lives. So I just want you to understand that, those, those two distinctions there, because it's really powerful. And when you study the Bible, you'll see two different messages. Jesus will say, whoever believes in me has eternal life. And then Jesus will say, if you do not take up your cross and die to yourself, you cannot be my disciple. So there's a difference between being a disciple and being a believer. Paul says, uh, knowing a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. He says that. Then he says, offer your life as a living sacrifice. Two different messages. One's being a believer. One's being a disciple. Anytime you mix them up, you have works for salvation. Anytime you mix them up, you have works for salvation. Salvation is not works, it's a gift. Well, let's look, with the time we have, let's look at this, this great commission. We've seen the great commandment. What is the great commandment? Love God and love others. How do you love God? How do you love others? Serve. Now, what is the great commission? I want you to turn to Matthew, okay? Matthew 28. Once again, that's in the front part of the New Testament. <laughs> You know what? Let's, let's be honest. A lot of people don't know the Bible at all. And we, we, if, if you grew up in church and you can find Matthew and Mark, Luke and John and flip everything around, that is so wonderful. But you know, I didn't grow up in church at all. First time I ever went to church, really, I went to church once when I was six, once when I was 12, and then after I trusted Christ when I was 19, I actually went to church. I didn't even have a Bible. Somebody gave me a Bible. If you just said, here's a Bible, and then you just said, go to Matthew, I'd have went, uh, uh. This is kind of a big book. How do I find Matthew? So I never laugh when somebody says, where's Matthew? Where's Mark? Where I've, I've taught before, and I've said, let's turn to Matthew something, and I've watched people go to the front of their Bible to see where it is. There's nothing wrong with that. You've got to learn it. I have to tell you this. When I, when I started growing as a Christian, and I was coaching at Mississippi State, and we were going to play Auburn in football, and uh, my pastor, the one who led me to Christ, uh, I, I asked the head football coach, I said, can I take him on the trip with us? He went, sure. So he roomed with me. I took him on the football trip with us. He loved football. He'd stood on the sideline. But after we had our walkthrough, we all went back to our rooms. And so I was with Knapp. His name was Knapp. And I started asking Bible questions. And then I said something like this. Now, why, why is this like called Romans and Corinthians and Colossians and Philippians? Why do they have those names? I didn't know. He said, let's get a map. And he turned to the back of the Bible to a map. And he said, see Rome? I went, yeah. 
the letter of Romans is to the Rome. I went, wow. And he said, see Philippi? That's Philippians. See Ephesus? That's Ephesians. And I went, what are you talking about? This is amazing. I said, so you mean these things are actually letters to these churches? He went, yeah. I said, what about this Timothy stuff? He went, no, that's people. Sometimes he wrote to people. Sometimes he wrote to churches. That's the first time I'd ever heard that. So listen, when I make a joke like saying, turn to Matthew, it's in the very first part of, you know, the New Testament. Uh, There are people sometimes who say, I I don't know where all that stuff is. But we've got to learn sometime. So let's look at it. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. uh, It basically says, And Jesus came out and spoke to them, saying, And so as we look at this great commission, there are three things. There's the authority, the commission, and the comfort. The authority is Jesus Christ. Look what he says. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. You know why he has the authority? Because he is God and he is the creator. He has all authority. He is God and he made everything. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 10, 30, the I and the Father are one. He's the Creator. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, all things were created by Him, through Him, and for Him. He did it all. So Jesus has all authority because He's God, and He is the Creator. With that in mind, if you turn the page, we're going to see the second part, and that is the commission. And the commission simply is to make disciples. I want you to notice something. I'm going to read the Bible. It says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Verse 19 says, Go therefore and what? Make disciples. By the way, there's only one imperative, one command. Make what? Now, some Bibles say, go therefore and make disciples. And that looks like an imperative, like a command. It is not. In the Greek, it is actually uh, a participle. It actually says going. The only command is to make disciples. Notice what it says. You could translate it this way. As you are going, therefore, make disciples of all nations. As you are baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As you are teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. The going... The baptizing and the teaching are all participles in the original language, which mean they're not the verb. The verb is to make disciples. So what is the Great Commission? To make disciples. And so when we look at this Great Commission, it has two parts to it. It is evangelism and training. The evangelism is where you lead people to Christ. The training is where you teach them. Because notice what he says. As you are going, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. Those three things there, the evangelism and the training. Of course, going where they are and evangelizing that, uh, and, and uh, leading them to Christ and baptizing them all deals with the evangelism part. The teaching them to observe all which you've commanded is the, the training aspect. And so we're gonna, we'll see that as a, some a great, great truths. Now, let's, let's think for a minute. If we're going to, let me put this up. I think it makes it simpler if I do it this way. If you have a question, listen, always, if you have a question or anything, just stop me. What's the command? This is the Great Commission, Make Disciples. It has two parts. It has evangelism and training. This is going and baptizing. The baptizing just means identifying. It means go out where they are, lead them to Christ, and identify them with Christ. That's evangelism. The training is where it says teaching. 
teaching them to observe all which I have commanded you. So that's how it works. We're to make disciples. How? Leading people to Christ. We go out where they are, lead them to Christ, identify them with Christ, and then we teach them and train them. And so to do this, to, look, to do this, we have to know the gospel and we have to know the Bible. I want you to think about this. You have to know the gospel. Why? So you can what? So you can what? Evangelize. You get, let's, go, let's say it simply. You have to know the gospel so you can do what? Evangelize. You have to know the Bible so you can what? Train them. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise this thing that I say every time in membership training. We have membership training occasionally. And I always ask this question. How many of you in this room believe it is your responsibility to evangelize and to tell people about Jesus? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you in this room think it is your responsibility to teach other people the Bible? Your hand should go up because that's what making disciples is. Evangelism and what? Training. They all go together. So you've got to know the Bible, you've got to know the gospel so you can know the salvation message. That's evangelism. You've got to know the Bible, which is the Word of God, so you can train and equip. And so the, 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 that's how that aspect goes. And then, so the evangelism as you were going, as you were going and as you were baptized. And if you see, that's the A there, as you were going. This is what he says. Going, as you were going, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So you go out, and, and let me just say this. Historically, I think the church has always had it backwards. Right? Did any of you grow up going to church with the idea that you needed to invite the lost to come to church so they could hear the salvation message? How many of you grew up with that way? That's backwards, by the way. That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture doesn't say invite them to come. It says go where they are. Because here's what happens. If... If every Sunday I give you an evangelistic message because there's one or two people out there that are probably not saved, and so the whole purpose is you to bring them there so they can hear the gospel message, then how much do you know about the Bible after five years? You know nothing. Okay? When you come together, it's to be trained and equipped, study the Word, and we worship God. He says, and you scatter out. You go with the message. So we're going with the message. So are you going? Are you identifying them? That's the baptism part. And then the second part is, are we training and equipping? That's, are you training? Are you teaching others? 2 Timothy 2.2 says, take what you've been taught and teach other people. So very simply put, while you're writing that down, is making disciples is evangelism and training. We go where they are, lead them to Christ, identify them with Christ, that's evangelism. Then as, they become, as they're believers, then we bring them into the body of Christ and we train them. We teach them. It is our responsibility to train them, equip them, so they can do the same thing. The goal is that this person that you lead to Christ and get trained, then they make disciples. They go out. You look at 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Paul says, Paul says to Timothy, Take the things I've taught you and trust this to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Notice, Paul taught Timothy. Timothy teaches others. The faithful people, and these people teach others. So who taught you? And then who are you teaching? And then who are the people that you're teaching, teaching? That's what he says. That's what the whole idea is. We're making disciples. We're training and equipping people. That's what we're supposed to do. This is the Great Commission. The last part of the Great Commission is the 
comfort. Whoops, oh, let me put that up there. Evangelism, going and baptizing, leading people to Christ, training them, we're teaching them to obey the word of God, to know and apply the truths of the scripture. So the last part is Christ is with us. That's the comfort. Notice what he says, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Powerful truth. When you go out these doors, we come together for classes, we come together for church, and we have a great time, we talk, we sing, we pray, we have the great time. And then we go out in the real world. But as you go out in the real world, you're not by yourself. He's there. He says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so as you are going to make disciples, and you're leading them to Christ and training them, and then you're doing all this, he's always with us. We don't ever have to be afraid. So... The authority is Jesus Christ. The commission is to make disciples, evangelism and training, going, baptizing, teaching. And the comfort is that Jesus is always with us. So the bottom line, we must know the gospel. We must know the word of God. If you're going to fulfill the great commission, which is what? What's the great commission? Make what? Make disciples. It's evangelism and training. If you're going to evangelize, you've got to know what? And if you're going to train, you've got to know what? The Word of God. You've got to know both. You've got to know both. So, the Great Commission is to make disciples, leading people to Christ, evangelizing, evangelism, and then teaching them to the Bible. Now, so, wow, there's a lot in here, and I just wanted you to see it. So, as we bring to a close this, we've seen the Great Commandment is to love God and love others. How do you love God? And how do you love others? And the Great Commission is to what? And that's in two parts. What is it? Evangelism and training and evangelism as you go and identify them. And then the training as you teach them to deserve all which you've commanded. And the, the authority is who? And the commission is to make disciples. And the comfort is he's always with us. Wow. Okay, so here's some key truths, okay? Let's understand the two greats found in the Word of God. What are the two greats? The great commandment and the great commission, Okay. Realize we love God as we what? Okay. Oh, yeah, you're writing. I'm sorry. I'm going too fast. So the first one, just understand the two greats. The second one is realize we love God as we do what? Okay. Obey Him. That's how, you, that's how you love Him. And then we realize that we love others as we what? Serve them. And understand that the Great Commission is what? Make disciples. People have been taught historically that the Great Commission is evangelism. That's only half of it. The Great Commission is leading people to Christ and then training them and equipping them. And we happens as we go out. We gather on a Sunday morning for worship and training. We scatter for evangelism. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't ever present the gospel. We present the gospel all the time on Sunday morning. There may be some people who come in on a Sunday morning who's not trusted Christ, but the purpose of Sunday morning is for the believers to be trained and equipped.